All right, so this is the first episode of Rocky Mountain Surgery Podcast. Welcome, everybody. My name's Jason Samuels. I'm a surgery resident at University of Colorado in Denver. I'm a third-year resident currently in the research lab. And I'm Allie Halpern. I am also a third-year research resident currently at CU Denver. Uh, So we're going to start each show off with a little tidbit about something fun we did over the last week. Uh, We want people to understand that surgery is not all about uh, constantly being in the hospital. Uh, The days of the 120 hours working a week are long over. Uh, So let's see, last weekend we went up to Aspen, uh, did a trail race up there through the uh, fall colors. Uh, Did that with a couple surgery residents uh, also in the lab currently. And uh, otherwise, we're uh, in the lab doing some research. We should give a shout out to Jason and one of our other colleagues who did really well running a half marathon this weekend. I didn't do anything quite so athletic, but I did go down to Taos, New Mexico with my husband. And we stayed in an adobe house and ate a bunch of southwestern New Mexico Mex food. And also went down to the Rio Grande Gorge and swam in some hot springs. So that was pretty fun. Is it hatch chili season? Is that also part of fall? I think it's always hatch chili season. Oh, fair enough. Well, the reason we're doing this podcast is, uh, first off, there are several great surgery podcasts out there that I think we should give credit to. One is Behind the Knife. Uh, and there's another one, Surgery Set. Both of those do an excellent job of talking about the hot topics of surgery and uh, interviewing some of the best surgeons in the country and even around the world. Uh, we're trying to take a different aim where we uh, enlighten people into what life and surgery is like. This is intended for both uh, medical students who are thinking about doing surgery residency, who may be thinking about doing surgery residency in Colorado, but also people who are completely outside uh, the medical field who are curious what life as surgery uh, residency is like. Because if you have a family member in the hospital these days, it's not uncommon for you to meet a resident. Hi, Mom. <laughs> if you're listening. So uh, that's the purpose of the podcast. It's going to cover kind of a broad range of topics and give you an insight to what our life is like. And we hope uh, everyone learns a little bit about life as a surgery resident. And I think with that, we'll probably get started on our main topic for this episode, which is life as a surgical intern. So like our podcast is a baby currently, we will take you guys into the life of a baby surgeon, a surgical intern. Uh, So one of the things that we were thinking about talking about for this podcast today is just expectations. I think that that can mean a couple of things when it comes to uh, your surgery internship One, what you expect going into it, and then two, what is actually expected of you as an intern. So Jason, what were you expecting to find on your first day as a surgery intern? Did you have fears? (laughs) Did you think you knew what it would be like having been a medical student and been around surgery interns? What was your perspective? The truth of the matter is nothing really prepares you for the day-to-day job, per se. You you understand kind of the medicine of it, but you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing. And that's probably true for just about any job when you walk in the first day. So it's obviously very intimidating. You know, I figured and I had done what we call sub-internships, which is kind of a, a mock trial of being an intern. And so I 
felt like I had a general sense of what the expectations were, uh, which is collecting information for morning rounds, reviewing patient charts, knowing what's going on with the patients on the service, and then also taking care of the notes, handling the pager. But there's a lot of other things day to day that you don't expect that you have to do. I think the most important thing when it comes to expectations for an intern is people expect you not to know things and it's okay to ask. You may not always get a smile in return to your questions, but people are going to be there to answer your questions as best they can or at least point you in the right direction. I think that's something that some of us struggle with more so than others. Uh, but certainly that was what I ultimately had to do is ask a lot of people a lot of questions on that first day. And I think that means a wide variety of people that are in your circle at work, whether that be your junior residents who are on the service who are still more senior than you, your senior residents. I think that everybody's available to you. Uh, but also think about your nurses who have been there for a long time and your pharmacists. They're all part of your team. And I still routinely rely on all of those people all the time. You know, the, my knowledge breadth is much greater than it was when I first started. But I still need all of those people to help me take good care of patients. What were some other expectations you felt uh, were, were held for you or that others had for you in that first year? I think that one of the expectations that I knew was going to be a part of being a surgery intern, but I don't think you fully realize it until you are the person there, is that you are the first doctor for your patients. If you have a patient who has a complication, who deteriorates, who just has simple questions, you are the first line for your whole team. And that can be daunting, but also rewarding. So you are somebody who gives bad news, who makes, you know, clinical decisions for somebody who's really, really sick. And you experience that partially as a medical student. But when you are truly somebody's doctor, that is a different thing. So I think that that's something that I did not fully realize until I actually became an intern. As far as the other expectations about work and things like that, I knew um, going into residency that I would be working the same numbers of hours that the residents worked when I was a medical student that I was around. So I was prepared for that. I think that you do not have your time management skills down pat as a medical student. No matter how busy of a medical school you went to, it's still different. So I think that that's something that... I anticipated but did not fully learn how to do it all until I actually was there in the moment. I think the nice thing that I noticed, at least in our experience, is that there's a lot of people around in our program at various levels. The nice thing about that is when you get in a tight spot, it's not very difficult to find somebody who can at least help you and guide you in the right way as to managing a situation. Uh, whether that's telling you who you should call, how you should approach the problem in general, at, you know, answering the actual medical issue. Uh, but that was one benefit I felt of having a lot of other interns or other residents around. But that's not always the case, and we'll kind of get into the night float situation that you'll, uh, you as an intern eventually experience. Jason, before we talk about night float, let me ask you, are there any challenges that you immediately faced when you became an intern? Well, the first obvious challenge uh, that I think everyone would agree with is there isn't a daunting amount of medical knowledge. And even if you feel like you really learned a lot 
in medical school and you really mastered several subjects, nothing prepares you for the amount of information that you have to learn. And not only that, but a lot of stuff you learned in medical school is already obsolete. And so there's a lot of changes in clinical practice that happen on a year-to-year basis almost at this point that you have to pick up pretty quickly. Uh, So just trying to educate myself on the job easily was the biggest challenge of, of becoming a surgical resident. So did you keep one of those little like pocket surgery books in your white coat? No. This day and age, I just rely on up-to-date or whichever surgical reference online people rely on. There's a computer within 10 feet of any given point uh, at this point. So I never really kept a book. I did have a quick reference for your basic lab stuff, although most of that's now printed out on whatever form you use for sign on that kind of thing as well. I think the one group of things that I kept in my white coat pocket were like my ACLS cards. Yeah. Those are useful. I still keep that in my pocket for ICU call. Yeah. But there are other challenges as well. There's both very high expectations and also a lot of, not necessarily doubt, maybe doubt's not the best word, but uh, certainly people, rightfully so, want to make sure that what you're saying is best for the patient is in fact is best for the patient. And so... uh, you learn that you have to manage your confidence in the decision with others' responses to your decisions. Uh, and certainly, I think some of us manage this or develop this ability quicker than others. But basically, if, if someone is questioning you, you should always keep in mind that they're doing that because it's in the best interest of the patient. And that can be initially very challenging because as a medical student, you never really encounter that kind of interaction with someone. You either got the question right or you got it wrong. There's not really like an in-between, like someone's going to go check on your suggestion or your recommendation for patient care later on. Uh, And so I think the sooner people realize as an intern that when someone is double checking your work, that that's a good thing and that that not only helps the patient, but helps you, the easier uh, life becomes. Uh, But certainly early on, that can be uh, a new experience. Especially as you're gaining your confidence as a new doctor. Absolutely. Uh, I think that something else that you bring up in saying that is that you work with a whole group of people and maybe you did do some of this as a medical student calling consults and things like that, or maybe you didn't do as much of that, but the whole idea that you're working with different groups of people, whether that be the nurses who are at the patient's bedside throughout the day, more, much more so than we are, Um, or advanced practice providers who work with you on your team or consulting teams or the ED. (laughs) All of these things represent uh, new ways for us to do a good job and a bad job communicating with people. And it's a challenge, I think, but something that if you really do try and do your best and think about your patient as the number one priority, then you will find yourself communicating well with all of these groups because honestly, we all do need to work together. Yeah, I don't think that can be emphasized enough. Uh, medicine today is 100% multidisciplinary, not only with your team and people at various levels, you interact with other consulting services fairly frequently in academic medicine these days. And then, in addition to that, every patient has a dietitian involved, a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a case manager, a social worker. And the interns who truly thrive, not only as an intern, but also for their patients, has a great relationship with all those people. Especially the case manager. Absolutely. If you have a good relationship with your case manager, and they are often amazing at what they're able to accomplish, your team runs so much more smoothly. 
Oh, you guys, before I forget, one thing I want to talk about with challenges that I remember one of the graduating chiefs said to all of us going into surgery from my medical school when we asked him, you know, what are some things that we should brush up on or learn or work on before we become actual interns? He was like, I want you guys to learn the doses of these five (laughs) drugs. And I think the drugs he said were like Zofran, Labetalol, hydralazine, and there were probably a couple of other things, but, and I'm not saying that you need to know those right now, but really your first day of work, a nurse is going to call you and say, your patient is hypertensive. What do you want to give to them or something along those lines? And that is the one part of being a doctor where you truly have not had experience with, Mm -hmm. or at least I did not have experience with before actually doing it was I knew what drug to give them, but I was like, I have no idea what the dose mm-hmm. of this actually is. I mean, even really common things. So be prepared for that. In full disclosure, my girlfriend's a pharmacist, and she's actually here in the background chuckling at us. Uh, typically, I simply uh, send a we quick... We just call her. Yeah, I, simply, I, I send her a quick text and hope for a response if I don't know the answer. Uh, but it's absolutely true. There are times where you go to what we call a med call at our hospital, or rapid response, and Medications need to be given in a fairly urgent manner. This isn't necessarily a code or a core situation. And it's much easier and, and uh, uh, more efficient if you can know those doses off the top of your head, like the dose of metoprolol for atrial fibrillation, etc. Five milligrams, mm-hmm. IV. Mm-hmm. Wait 10 minutes. Uh, by the end of the entering year, we all know that. So we were talking about challenges. We talked about expectations. Anything we should add to that, you think, Allie, that we haven't discussed already? Mm. No, I think that that was pretty good. I I think the next thing that we'd like to go into, which I think is pretty common depending upon what arm you're in Mm -hmm. of the work hours trial where interns could take call. What's the name of that? Do you remember? The first trial. I think think it might be ended now. I think it's now all of the... Everyone we can all take follow call. essentially first. So the whole night float system came about though because interns were not allowed mm-hmm. to take call. And so we and many other hospitals, including where I went to medical school, had night float systems where basically a smaller number of interns carry pagers for the patients that are floor patients uh, at night. And for us at the university hospital, that meant three interns for all of the surgical teams. And it's a large university hospital. At Denver Health, there's one intern for a much smaller number of patients. But still, I mean, a large number of patients. For a single person, it's, certainly it's a, a good number. Large amount. And so with night flow, there are several things going on. One, you have a large doctor-to-patient ratio. The whole idea behind this is that it's at night. Hopefully things have kind of set, kind of settled in and you're there to put out fires and take care of people, um, but under a reduced number of people in the hospital. And there are some inherent challenges mm-hmm. that come with that. So what, what were your... When, first of all, when in intern year did you do your night flow rotation? If I'm remembering correctly, it was around... Late November, early December, it, it was definitely around things. I remember we had a pretty significant snowfall, which made for one fun morning going home. I would say that this is probably the hardest rotation to start on. As Ab- absolutely. Uh, but on that note, the, the month where you grow the most as a doctor. I agree. So my experience uh, on night float, most nights, 
It also depends on what services you're distributed. So obviously we, we cover certain services and you typically stick, stick with those services for the purpose of patient continuity, which makes entire sense. Uh, and each service has its own set of challenges. So some are very busy with seeing consults in the emergency department, whereas other you're more dealing with patients who have medical issues that arise overnight, less time spent in the emergency department. Uh, I was certainly part of the latter group where you're covering sicker patients. And the first challenging part about intern night float is being able to cohesively put together a situation and a statement so that when you're calling someone at one in the morning, two in the morning, uh, they can very quickly make a decision despite how groggy they are and assist you in caring for that patient. And that's where I think the greatest growth occurs overnight. It doesn't, some are certainly quicker at others than at developing that skill, but it's all something we have to practice and, and develop over time. Uh, and then there are simply just situations where the other hard part I would say is just the triage aspect of knowing when you need to call, knowing uh, when things are not as severe as, as maybe they appear on uh, when they're first presented to you. And that, that takes practice as well. And the easy answer for that, and this is what I learned in the ICUs as well, is if you try an intervention and things do not improve with that intervention, that's typically a time to call someone. And if you follow that practice, it's a 99% of the time that's going to keep you out of trouble, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. And if somebody, even if your intervention is working, but somebody's, you know, pretty sick, mm-hmm. I still would call Absolutely. someone now. Absolutely. And on your night float systems at your hospitals, it's probably similar to how it is with us. It was like this when I was a medical student. There's always another group that's there with you too. It's not just interns there at night. Mm-hmm. So there's usually a mid-level and a chief or somebody who is the consult mid-level who is there. It's, it varies from hospital to hospital, but there's always backup for you to call. It's an empowering month, too. There's something to be said for being the last one in the hospital to a degree. So I covered a lot of subspecialty services like cardiac surgery, thoracic surgery, where the other person, your, your point of contact is a fellow uh, who's not in the hospital at night a majority of the time. There are times where they're operating, and in those cases, you go out and talk to them in person in the operating room. Uh, but it's empowering to be the person. Essentially, you're the person in charge, and you're the last line of defense like you talked about. And I think if you look at it that way and take ownership for it, uh, it makes the whole month a lot more enjoyable. I think if you look at it as stressful and and uh, challenging and you, and you don't try and take ownership for it, if you have a different perspective about it, it certainly can make it more stressful. So what are some of the most common calls you got at night on night flow? Well, being the, cardi- the coverage for cardiac at night, there are quite a few AFib calls. And the first one you go to, you think oh, this person's absolutely going to die, even though they're sitting in front of you, completely asymptomatic and mm-hmm. unaware of what's going on in the monitor. Uh, and then you get a hang for that kind of aspect. The other issue is actually uh, pretty straightforward stuff, like patients having difficulty sleeping. And I think this is an important point. Not every symptom needs a reaction. Uh, it needs you to be aware of it and to take note of it and, and inform the team in the morning. But I think if you go around treating every uh, symptom that arises, you can actually at times do more harm than good. So you should take a symptom you hear about and not make an immediate response to it, but also ask follow-up questions or do some research and see what's actually going on. If it's something simple like the patient's not having difficulty sleeping, think about their age, think about what their other risk factors are for things like delirium, uh, for example. 
Uh, that's another tricky issue when it comes to knife load is the, the typical response is to make an immediate reaction to a problem that you're presented with. And that's not always uh, necessarily the, the right response. Did you have anybody get really sick? On night float? Uh, yeah, several times. So I also cover the transplant service, and those patients are always quite tenuous, especially early on in their hospital stay. And typically that involved being close contact with the fellows, and they're not in the hospital. And so you have to be very aware of the entire picture so that you can pass that information on. So if you, let's not use your patient as an example, mm-hmm. but if you could just make something up um, and say you're calling me like, formulate it in a sentence. What are the important things that I need to hear waking up at, you know, three mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning? So if it's a patient, the... As it, the fellow. If the fellow the knows fellow. the patient, which is the majority of the time, there are times where fellows are covering and then you have to completely inform them of their past medical and their entire situation. But typically it's the uh, former situation where they at least know their patient. You want to kind of create a timeline, and one of our attendings loves to do this, so actually write it out for you. I don't know if you've ever seen Dr. Peltz write out a timeline for you of the events, mm-hmm. uh, and it can kind of clarify what's gone on uh, when you see it in front of you, but you want to do the same thing verbally, so I try and come up with a timeline. Like I first heard from the nurse at such and such hour that the patient had developed uh, abdominal pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we attributed it to gas at that time, and they received medication, uh, pain medication. They were not distended at that time. Their belly was soft. It was appropriately tender. However, an hour later, the pain continued to worsen. They then became, uh, then developed guarding. Uh, they also had an increase in their vital signs. This happened about five minutes ago, and that's when I decided it was appropriate to call you. And then you would also go into, uh, are there any other changes? Have you gotten lab work? Uh, other vital sign changes? What is the stability of the patient as far as you can tell? Mm-hmm. Typically, that gives, in my opinion, the gist of the situation. And a lot of times, you not being as closely uh accompanied with the patient as the fellow. It's something straightforward. Oh, the patient has had issues with this overnight. We've been trying to play around with their pain medication. Or it's a known, a known complication of a symptom that you're new to or a surgery that you're new to. And so then they say, okay, thank you for letting us know. Do X, Y, and Z. Uh, we'll be up to see the patient at such and such time. I, I had a patient who had to go back to the operating room mm-hmm. when I was on night float. But it is the same thing. No matter what your patient's issue is if it's a change that requires attention i agree it's that Mm -hmm. same i have patient x their post-op day x from whatever Mm -hmm. surgery they had and these are their new symptoms this is their vital sign change and this is a plan always have a plan Mm -hmm. and examine your patients always go see them if Mm -hmm. you are not sure or don't you can't really put it together based on what their nurse is telling you over the phone go see them Mm-hmm. That is always helpful. Your physical exam techniques are real things, and they've been around since the beginning of medicine for a reason. So we are also going to, and we kind of already hinted at this, uh, the importance of getting into the operating room as an intern, which I think in the past that hasn't been the expectation. When I talk about past, I'm talking probably quite long before I was an intern myself. But you hear these stories from attendings of how they didn't see the operating room until their third year of residency. I think those times have changed. We got in the operating room very early on as residents, and that is the expectation, I think, across the country now. And, you know, you have to have 250 cases, mm-hmm. um, although those can be, like, you know, second scrub, too. Mm-hmm. First assist. Uh, within your first two years of residency. Now, 
for my ACGME counting cases where I was Surgeon, surgeon Junior, uh, I think I had 170, 150 cases by the end of my first mm-hmm. year, which was awesome. Right, same. Yeah, I think I had about the same amount of uh, cases as well. And initially, it's very intimidating. I'll never forget my first operating room experience. I won't go into details, but basically, something as simple as not tying suddenly became extremely challenging just because of stress in the room and the realization of what was happening. You have a real patient in front of you. And the thing, the fact of the matter is, as I mentioned, I had done sub eyes and been in the operating room before where. You were essentially the intern, but for whatever reason, now that I was actually the resident, it was totally different. It was a completely different experience, and I couldn't even tie a knot. And you look back and you laugh because at this point, there are so many more important things that you're worried about in the operating room. All that stuff is just uh, muscle memory. But once you overcome that, you are begging to go to the operating room and doing everything you can to get to that point. With that said, the important thing as a, as a junior resident is... The more you know about the case, not only the technical aspects of it, but also the patient themselves and why they're in that situation and why they're having the procedure done, the more you're going to get out of the case. When I was thinking about being a surge, uh, going to surgery as a career, I was always worried about the technical aspect. And my med school mentor told me that it's not terribly challenging to teach someone uh, the, the technical aspects of surgery. Most of us can at least develop the skills necessary to be a successful surgeon. It's the decision-making that's the hard part. Uh, and so if you can encapsulate those decisions in these experiences in the operating room, you'll develop these skills so much quicker. And I'm by no means excellent at that. I, uh, With all the expectations, it can be a challenge to learn everything about the patient ahead of time. You try and get the general picture as best you can, but a lot of these patients have been followed by your attending surgeon for years. But the more you can, uh, the more information you can take in about the overall case, the more you're going to learn in the long run with each trip to the operating room. And another really important thing about <coughs> going to the operating room when you're reviewing all of your anatomy and reading whatever textbook or YouTube video you prefer while studying for your case to actually go through the steps. I think that the most important thing, which we haven't talked about yet, is reviewing your patient's imaging. Um, You will become an excellent radiologist Mm -hmm. as a surgery resident. You will look at all of your patient's imaging. You'll see so many chest x-rays every morning, and you will get really good at reading um, chest and abdominal CT scans. And that is something that literally guides you through your operation. Like Mm -hmm. I remember some VATS wedges that we did when I was an intern where you actually pulled up the CT scan so you could see where exactly, because you can't see some of these nodules from the outside of the lung. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could see exactly where you were going on the scan. That's an incredibly important part, I think, of preparing for cases and also just taking care of your patients is do not rely on radiology, you should become facile at reading scans Mm -hmm. yourself. And getting in the operating room, I also think, points out another important aspect. Not only surgery residency, I think just residency in general is you're going to interact with so many different personalities in a high-stress environment and how you handle yourself in those situations not only will affect your ability to care for the patient, but also just your, your overall experience as a resident and a healthcare provider. In the operating room, you're going to have very high expectations. The days of yelling and throwing things, those are long over, but that's not to say that things can't get stern and appropriately so. 
I think those of us who have been in high stress environments growing up, whether it's sports or uh, performance arts or any kind of competitive environment, that certainly can help. And it's a very similar situation. You have to just remember that a you're going to make mistakes, and how you can uh, maintain your composure during those mistakes is going to determine how well you overcome those errors. The operating room is the same situation. So if you make an error, if a tie comes off, you can't sit there and beat yourself up over it. You're learning just like everyone ahead before you has done so. You should want yourself to be perfect, but I don't think that people expect you to be perfect. Absolutely. What was the first case you did as an intern? <laughs> it was a seton placement. That's a good one. Yeah. I think my first case as an intern was a thyroid Oh, that's it was, a good one. It was great the first week, yeah. or it was like the first day of my intern year. Yeah. Um, there were some people missing from the endocrine surgery service, and so I was recruited over there mm-hmm. to help. So you guys should be prepared for anything. What do you think are the most typical cases that interns would be assigned to? I think uh, laparoscopic appendectomies, a lap appy as we call them, is probably the quintessential intern case because it's a good opportunity to practice uh, laparoscopic skills in not a a risk-free environment, but lower risk than some other laparoscopic cases that uh, junior residents involve themselves in. Any kind of large operation, abdominal operation, the intern should do everything they can to get to the operating room because there is so much anatomy to see. Mm -hmm. Even if you're just holding a retractor, to be able to see all the foregut anatomy, to be able to see the liver anatomy, even the small bowel and colon visceral anatomy, and people take note of that, too. Mm-hmm. Your attendings know when you are there second scrubbing on all of the things. And I do think it makes you better at taking care of the patients afterwards, right. too. And you realize you'll be asked to assist and actually take part in what, as a senior resident, you may no longer be terribly interested in, like the closure of the skin or closure of the fascia, which early on, it, you have not developed those skills yet, so they're incredibly important. And the only way you're really going to develop those is in the operating room, a banana peel, a chicken leg. Those are only going to go so far. And so that's the benefit of those larger operations. Uh, I would say those are the important operations for an intern to experience. What is a banana peel or a chicken leg? You know, you never practice suturing on a banana oh, peel. Oh, on a banana peel. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was like where you dog ear the skin or something. You call it a banana <laughs> peel. No. That's called the Jason Samuels, everybody. As long as I get a procedure named after myself. The banana peel. Mm-hmm. So I kind of disagree with Jason on okay. Lap Appy being the most... Really? Common intern case. I'm curious. Come to hear on, your think about your numbers at the end of your intern year. It's skin and soft tissue. Well, very true. But what, that that may be specific to our experience. No, I think that's true for everybody's so? experience that you accrue yeah, a lot of skin. Yeah, that's true. And soft you do tissue. a lot of lipoma removals. So things like that. There are. I would say not, this doesn't fall necessarily under skin or soft tissue, but like perirectal fistula drainage, mm-hmm. breast surgery, and then there's like a smattering of many other things. Mm-hmm. But skin and soft tissue, I think. Okay, is where you get I'll give you that. Number. That's true. That's fair. But definitely working on your laparoscopic skills, and especially if you have an attending who will be there while mm-hmm. you have a senior resident working with a junior resident on a case like a lap appy, or usually a lap appy more so than a lap coli. I, I did think, a few lap coli's. Yeah. Uh, those are all incredibly beneficial things. But you'll be so we do uh, a month in the plastic surgery service our program and just learning different ways even to close skin at that early stage of our training is incredibly helpful too and you'll keep those skills with you your entire training and you'll realize that everyone does things in varieties 
and there's not necessarily a right way or wrong way to do it. And it's beneficial because if you take my appendix out, I want cute yeah. little scars. You're going to use the 6-0 monocrylls for yeah. all your clo- lab closures. Give me some beautiful incisions. Okay, we'll do. All right. Well, any other thoughts? You know, I think we've covered a, a broad range of topics. Uh, I hope this gives people both a sense of what, uh, not only what surgery internship is like, but also kind of how to get through that first year residency, if that's the track you're uh, planning to take. Oh, let me say one more thing sure. before we leave. Another important part of being an intern is self-care. And I what that meant for me was like my one day of the week that I had off really going and doing something fun. Like I read at night, I was very dedicated, but you, I needed to take that one day to really go do something for myself. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was like going to do stuff outside or spending time with my husband and my dogs, whatever it is, you need to do something to take care of you. That's mm-hmm. fun too. And I think that surgery life in general has changed, I think, dramatically. This day and age, you can make what you want of it. You can be the surgeon who lives in the hospital because you love the job that much. You can also be the surgeon that has a great practice, but also has lots of hobbies outside of the hospital uh, or a large family that you're very close with. You no longer have to make the choice of either or. I think that is loss on people. I was surprised, and we actually spoke to some interns. They included their sentiments on this matter as well, uh, where they are surprised at the amount of time you have outside the hospital. I personally uh, started running in medical school. And actually started running uh, up in the mountains here. And that's a great way to just hit the reset button because you're, you're away from cell phone res- uh, reception frequently. You're and also kind of away from just uh, civilization in general, just for a brief hour or two. Uh, and then you come back and you hit the books hard. Uh, so yeah, self-care is incredibly important. And it's an expectation as well, uh, taking care of yourself in this day and age. It's true. you got to be good so you can take care of your patients. Good for you too. All right, with that, shall we go to some words of wisdom for those who are living the life right now as surgical interns? I think that'd be great. All right. All right. So would you guys be able to describe a day in the life of a surgery intern? So you guys come in in the morning and you're the first person here at the hospital. And then what are you doing? Usually we're just... Collecting numbers, overnight events, just kind of getting data for the team. Okay, so you're probably here between, you know, 30 minutes and an hour before all the rest of the folks on your team, and then you start rounding. Mm -hmm. And then you guys are usually the ones who present all of the patients for your teams? For the most part, yeah. Yeah, except sometimes the ICU patients will go to the seniors. Okay. And then is that something that you felt like, was similar to how you did it in medical school, that you were prepared for all of those things? I think we present more of the pertinent things. Rather than medical school, they liked all the, you know... The full systems. Yeah. Presentation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're rounding. And then what else happens? Pages happen. Critical values of lab results that come in or just random miscellaneous things. As you're kind of trying to give a cohesive plan to your senior and then getting pulled aside for other things. so I think that that's a good point that you bring up, that being an intern is a lot about being pulled in 10 different directions at one time. 
and trying to learn how to prioritize all of those tugs on you. Mm -hmm. um, and when you expect those to be in like two different places at once. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. What's a What's an example of that? Oh, I think I was supposed to be at a conference, but I was also supposed to be in the OR at some point. <laughs> so. <laughs> but also getting all those notes done on the yeah. floor and making yeah. plans and talking with patients and families and um, yeah, like this morning we had a conference, but also we were supposed to be in the OR, but getting all the floor stuff done because we might be sending people home. And and I, I would say that I think that talking to other friends who are surgery residents places that that's a universal thing. Yeah that is the same for everyone no matter where you train is being pulled in a ton of directions so how do you guys set up your like mental triage list of how things get done in your day like what like most important to least important this needs to be done now because i can do it quickly how, how do you guys prioritize I think probably a combination of the two things you just said. So obviously if there's something critical or urgent going on, you take care of that first. But also if you're by a computer or if the computer is available in the patient's room and you just need to put in a quick order for potassium, like you might as well just do it. It's pretty low priority, but it's kind of the convenience factor. And I, I think that's an awesome tip, especially, you know, there's a two-sided coin to this, though. Um, one, you're a little bit less face-to-face, -face, I think, with your patients in the morning mm -hmm. because you're almost like the recorder in the situation, even though you, you know the patient, you've presented all this stuff. But then it's usually the senior resident on your team who's talking to the patient. But as an intern, I think you can increase your efficiency a thousandfold if you get a couple of those orders in, especially things like diets when patients want to eat breakfast and mm -hmm. stuff like that in the morning you'll be called for 10 seconds after you leave the Correct. room. Correct. <clears throat> so I think that's a great tip that she just shared. What's one thing you didn't anticipate about being a surgical intern? I didn't. I think I just anticipated all the worst things, and then, you know, everything from that just seems so much better. Yeah, same. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So it sounds like not quite as stressful as you anticipated? I really was expecting the worst. Though. Really? Mm -hmm. Like, working ridiculous hours and... Yeah, I Which, have. I mean, they're more. They're long hours, they're but. Long hours, but not pretty busy. Yeah, pleasantly surprised. You know, you, you hear horror stories of how things were pre, like, 80 hour work week and all of that, and you kind of set yourself up for that, and I don't know, it hasn't been like that for me, at least. Awesome. Yeah. So, what is like a, a win or an aha moment that you've had so far this year? Maybe it's like getting into the operating room and doing a case with you and then attending alone finally maybe it's your senior resident comes and takes a pager from you one afternoon well, what my, my senior I had <laughs> yeah so I had one I guess of those, those are different kinds of, awesome. of value <laughs> ahas my uh, senior resident had jury duty for the day so he had no choice but to go nice. which meant I got to cover all of his cases with his attending it was awesome mm -hmm. yeah I think I randomly had a chief day, which is where all you do is operate all day. You don't really do the notes. You don't carry the pager, and you go home at, like, 4. And my chief, I guess, is just feeling particularly generous that day and, like, let me have a chief day. And <laughs> so that was a pretty pretty glamorous pretty glamorous lifestyle, I have to say. Nice. What has it been like operating as an intern? Oh, I suck. <laughs> I, just, I, I suck. But, you know, getting better. Getting yeah. Getting comfortable. I think initially when we started, I was kind of worried and scared to actually get into the OR because yeah. you know as a medical student you're always pimped 
and asked questions. You're expected to know every little detail of the procedure, which, you know, we try to prep as much as we can. Um, but getting in there, they're very understanding. They teach a lot. It's great. Do you find that there's a lot of support with you being in the operating room? People are willing to take you through cases? And yeah, this actually, I've only been on this service for a couple of weeks, and every case that I've been in on, my senior has more or less stepped back and mm -hmm. helped retract the leg or helped, <laughs> you know, drive the camera while I actually got to do a lot of it. And the, granted, these were simple cases, these weren't like index cases or anything, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, and like really encouraging me to go to the OR and saying, you know, this stuff can wait because obviously they're much better at prioritizing mm -hmm. um, what can wait and what can't and so um, I do think that when you start your intern year it feels there's a mountain of notes waiting for you mm -hmm. um, and you need to get those done immediately but by the end of your intern year you kind of change your priorities and maybe that being in the operating room for four hours or six hours is worth you finishing your notes at the end of the day because it's not this is absolutely. not a writing notes residency. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. It's a necessary evil, but absolutely, operating room is the place to be. Absolutely. What is life outside the hospital like as an intern? It's been pretty good. I have to you say. Know, like, I've, I've been actually really pleasantly surprised with our class particularly. We're pretty close, the 10 of us, and mm -hmm. we see each other maybe once or twice a week. That's out. great. I try to make it two, three, four times a week. And, um, you know, maybe I'm more of a social butterfly more heavily reliant on my uh, <laughs> external energy sources. She's to, uh, drinking an energy drink. Yes, exactly. Correct. We should clarify. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, I have to say I was, I think that's one of the, I guess, scariest things um, coming into intern year is you see these people on the interview, interview trail, you kind of know who they are because you kind of interview in clusters. Um, but I honestly, I think I met one of our categorical interns on the interview trail, and I don't know if I, apparently we met at some point. Yeah, I think we met at one of our interviews, and she was just very prim and proper and <laughs> quiet. That's correct, that's correct. <laughs> Unlike now. And then now it's just Now it's just a hot mess of energy drink. I, we all met up, like, right before orientation started. Super easy to hang out with each other. It was nice to know that we had, like, people that weren't just because you, you get surgeons and you get that stereotype of aggressive and whatever and I'm aggressive but a little bit a little bit but I think that's kind of been one of the best things and that's kind of been I think what gets us through these tougher days is when you have like good people to kind of back you up and support you talk with and makes all the difference it's also helpful like not just from a mental work is crazy mm -hmm. kind of perspective but like you know if there's something you don't know here in the hospital, right? Then your friends have probably encountered the same situation. Right. Exactly. One of our alarms obviously is going off. Sorry. Yeah, I'm amazed none of our pagers have gone off. That's like, true. I'm kind of like, I won't hey, check the battery on it. What are your thoughts on research? Have you put much thought into it? What kind of research do you want to do? So I think our class in particular has put in a lot of thought because we are. Um, committed to two years. Mm -hmm. We're the first class, yeah. I think, that... New going into it, that we yeah. to do it. Exactly. And so. I think a lot of us wanted to anyway. I think that's why we chose this program. And, and what, what drew you specifically to doing a program that very interested in residents taking part in research? Staying in academics. Yeah. Fellowship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you had one last piece of advice for somebody who's going to be your intern next year, 
what would you tell them? Have fun before you start. Just don't try to prep. Don't. There's nothing you can do to prep. I don't think anyway. I don't know what you guys y'all think. I I tried to prep. I read like I knew my first rotation was vascular, so I read Rutherford's, which is like the vascular textbook. It did not serve you know, me. Go go on a nice vacation. Spend time with your family. Yeah. Um. And. Yeah, along those same lines. Obviously, like, when you graduate, you have no money. You just did it. We're on the interview trail. You have zero money. Oh, yeah. Prepare and, for that. And a lot of credit card debt, and you don't know what to do. But if you have the time, go see friends that are out of the state that you know you're not going to be able to see. Like, that's what I did. I took a trip to New York, to San Francisco, just to see people yeah. that, even though I had no money, and it's... I road tripped across the states, I figured. Um, just do it, and the money will you'll deal with later, and it'll all work out. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for your time. Yeah, thanks. Well, that concludes the first week of Rocky Mount Surgery. We hope you uh, enjoyed the discussion. Uh, there will be an email link on the website that if you have any questions or comments regarding the show, please feel free to send us uh, your emails. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the second year uh, experience as well as the ICU experience as a resident. We hope you'll join us.